So, uh, how many of you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Did you? Go ahead, raise your hand. Well, oh, quite a few. Percentage-wise, more here than at the 9 o'clock service. I don't know what that tells me, but it's an intriguing little statistic. Someone uh, last week after the service commented to me after, uh, on leaving that I seem to be favoring the Eagles in my Sunday message because we had read the prophet Isaiah who said, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So Eagles had the day, and uh, Isaiah, you know, had no word for patriots. I don't know. <laughs> it was a fabulous game, as those games go, right? But I'm not so sure the same could be said about Justin Tieber's halftime show, Timberlake's halftime show. <laughs> that was funny, wasn't it? Generally, I'm not too interested in those spectacles. Uh, come the end of the Second quarter, I'm generally off into the kitchen fixing dinner or putting a load of laundry into the washing machine. But this year, Melissa was sitting with me, and she said she wanted to see it. So we did, and all in, they, we weren't that captivated. Although I think I did remark that it was visually impressive. Each each year, the organizers seem to want to outdo prior years in the razzle-dazzle. And that seems the point, really. How visually stunning can they make it? A lot has to do with how they handle and manage light in its various forms. And like I said, it had its visual moments. But then I think I said at one point to Melissa that if you close your eyes, the sound was pretty dismal. And in fact, I heard a couple of commentators say that the quality of the sound was, seemed poor. And after all, Timberlake is firstly a singer, at least that's how he's packaged. I think that for a blind person, the whole thing would have been a big yawn. The audience is supposed to be blown away with the visual extravaganza. I like a good show, of course. There's a time and a place for spectacle. You know, the opening ceremony of the Olympics, for instance. Nothing much to hear doing, during the show. Spectacle is the whole point. We're suckers for the impressive visual display, which is why CGI, or computer-generated effects, has taken over the movies. Big and flashy cells. Star Wars and its ilk are entirely dependent upon surprising the viewer with spectacular, spectacular, spectacular visuals. In the latest, how many of you have seen the latest Star Wars? Hmm? Uh, close to as many watch the Super Bowl. I especially like the sequence with Luke Skywalker's final confrontation with Kylo Ren, Darth Vader's grandson, and his subsequent disappearance. The scene is actually a spectacle within a spectacle, isn't it? It's kind of a joke on itself, almost. 
and Kylo Ren is taken in by the artifice. It's true in the religion business, too. You've likely seen Joel Osteen's show in his arena, tremendous production values, uh, big hoo-ha and whatnot, and lots of megachurch ministers attempt to outdo one another in visual effects. Of course, there's a long history for this in the world of religion. Think pyramids and cathedrals and elaborate costuming have all been employed to capture the attention of the faithful. Do you know you can't help but be impressed when you walk through into St. Peter's Square in the Vatican or stepping through the Basilica's portal into the space designed in part by Michelangelo, the most renowned work of Renaissance architecture. It's the largest church in the world. It is meant to be impressive, and it is. And of course, in our own way here at Christ Church, our space is meant to capture the attention of cynical New Yorkers. Stepping into the sanctuary, people inevitably, I've watched this a thousand times as they walk through the doorway here, they inevitably look up and then around and all around and marvel at what they see immediately from coming right off the sidewalk. The Bible has stories filled with spectacle as well. We heard two of them today. CGI engineers would have fun with the scene of Elijah whisking away in a chariot of fire, and then the mystical transfiguration of Jesus on top of a mountain, who, Mark tells us, has more razzle-dazzle than the hottest pop star, enveloped in shrouds of smoky clouds, and that voice, that voice that says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And with that, all in one fell swoop, the spectacle evaporates, poof. And it's only Jesus and the three disciples left standing in bewilderment. But here's the takeaway. The razzle-dazzle was never the point. The point was found in the voice of God who said, Listen to him. And you'll note he did not say worship him or even believe in him. He said listen to him. Just prior to this dramatic episode, Mark reports that Jesus described how he would undergo great suffering, rejection, and even death at the hands of the elders and leaders. Peter rebukes Jesus for saying this sort of thing. You know, it's as though Peter says to Jesus, stop talking like that, Jesus. And Jesus very, very famously responds to Peter. Remember how he responds? Get behind me, Satan for you're speaking of human things and not of holy things. And what do you suppose those human things were? Well, that's pretty easy to answer given the disciples' transparent nature. They were following along with the expectation of a big payoff 
when Jesus came into his glory as the righteous king of Israel. That was the bargain they had made. Though following after the way of Jesus, they had lost the point of what his journey was all about. And here, just as Jesus is about to turn his path towards Jerusalem for the final leg of his journey, the lead disciples get supposedly a wake-up call. Not that they'll get it, as the story is told. They're denser than thick mud, because just a few miles ahead, they'll be arguing about who's the greatest among them. They want the big payday by God. So, one clear interpretation of the transfiguration concerns the fact that the disciples are captured by the razzle-dazzle opportunity and miss the content of the mission. Listen to him, God says. And the other Gospels report it exactly the same way, with the same words. Listen to him. Listen. Alert parents become aware of the reality of what is referred to as teachable moments. These refer to the unplanned opportunities that come along when child and parent are both receptive to deep listening and sharing. These times can't be forced. In fact, parents learn the hard way that repetitive admonishments are regularly ignored, often inducing the exasperated, am I talking to myself here? Any parent know what I'm referring to? But then, maybe riding in a car or taking a quiet walk down the street, a window of opportunity opens. You sense you are, you yourself are in a healthy emotional state, state, as is your child, and something is said or experienced, and a lesson is taught and shared. Growing in faith is like that. Adults are stubborn students, actually worse than kids, because they've had years and years of honing their expectations and desires. We know what we know, after all, and we know what we want, need, and expect. This is especially true in our relationship with God. We like to set the terms. Thank you very much. And like the disciples, our following along the path Jesus blazed is chock full of our expectations and desires for personal advancement and fulfillment. We want God to deliver the goods to some, do some razzle-dazzle on our behalf, right? I know I have been in that place myself. And every now and again, we may even experience some spiritual razzle-dazzle on top of some high mountain, as it were. But if we're really alert to our circumstance, we'll also hear aloud, listen to him, meant to bring us to our senses, to get a grip on the most meaningful content for the living of our days, 
that after all is said and done, life is not about going after one mountaintop experience after another, one success after another, one more trophy after another, one more razzle-dazzle distraction devoid of actual consequential content. As the story is told, the disciples were confronted up on that mountain with a voice that told them, Don't gawk! Listen! Listen! Yet the spectacle overwhelmed the message nevertheless. So when they descend the mountain, they weren't any wiser and wouldn't become wiser until they had had all of their hopes dashed in a great conflagration of disloyalty and cowardice. And finally, after death and resurrection, stripped of all of their expectations, right down to the nubs, vulnerable in their weakness, then they had their teachable moment. That's when it came. And they remembered the words they were meant to hear all along as though for the very first time. Here's just a smattering of some of those words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus said these things walking along the road with his disciples. And, you know, friends, this wisdom is hard to hear. That is, it's really hard to let it penetrate the thick crust of our own selfish preoccupations. And by hearing, I, I mean taking it in. So often words like these sort of hit the outer crust and bounce off. As you heard Paul say to his friends in Corinth, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Here's a simple, simple way to think about our presence here in this space. We help one another to listen, to really listen. Because left to our own individual selves, we're really quite deaf. I have a quote out here on the quote bar by Scott Peck. It's, I won't have it exactly, but he's, it says, you cannot truly listen to someone while you're doing something else. You can't really listen to someone while you're doing something else. And you know what? Even my sharing that with you, you know how hard it is to actually pay attention fully to listen to another. And how times 10 that is for our spiritual lives in our relationship with God. No one can do it for us. It only comes from us, from within. I know that I need help to actually hear what's being said. I need help with that. That's been true in my marriage. It's been true in my parenting. It's been true in my colleagues, and most especially with God. Fortunately, very fortunately, we have each other. And we have these occasions where we help each other to listen well. Because after all, we want to grab onto the things that matter most of all, don't we? We don't want to let our lives dribble away. Listen. Listen.